Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Greek Mythology Baby. In this episode, we'll be talking about, uh, let's see. Oh, I know, Poseidon. One of the most, you know, chill, laid-back gods. So let's get started. This is episode number six, Poseidon Gets Salty. Let's get started. I'm biased. But if you're gonna have a Greek god for a parent, you couldn't do better than Poseidon. I mean, he's amazingly cool considering how hard it is for him to be a young god. He, he was a middle boy, you know, between his brothers. He was always being compared to his brothers like, Wow, you're almost as handsome as Zeus or you're almost as powerful as Zeus. Or even sometimes, you're not as much as a loser as Hades. You see, that can really grade a guy after a few centuries. Back when Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades threw the dice to divide the world, Poseidon got the second war. He had to accept his brother Zeus's becoming lord of the universe and telling him what to do for all eternity. But Poseidon didn't complain. He won the sea. That was fine with him. He liked the beach, he liked swimming, and he liked seafood. True, Poseidon wasn't as flashy or powerful as Zeus. He didn't have a lightning bolt. Or he, but he did have a trident, magical trident. He could stir up hurricanes, summon tidal waves, and make mean smoothies. Since the seas wrapped up around the earth, Poseidon could also cause earthquakes. If he was in a bad mood, he could level whole cities or make islands sink beneath the waves. The Greeks called him the Earth Shaker. And they went to a lot of trouble to keep him happy. Because no matter where, whether you were on land or at sea, you didn't want Poseidon to get mad at you. Fortunately, Poseidon was usually calm. His mood reflected the Mediterranean Sea, where he lived. Most of the time, the Mediterranean Sea was smooth sailing. Poseidon would let the ships travel where they wanted. He'd bless fishermen with good catches. He'd chill on the beach, sip his umbrella drink from coconut shell, and not sweat about the small stuff. On the nice days, Poseidon would ride his golden chariot across the waves, pulled by a team of white hippocampi, which were horses with golden manes, bronze hoofs, fish tails around his uh, fish tails. Everywhere he went, the sea creatures would come out to play around his chariot. So you see sharks and killer whales and giant squids. All froggling together, gurgling, hooray, Poseidon is in the house, or whatever. But sometimes the sea got angry, and Poseidon was the same way. When that happened, he was totally a different dude. If you were a ship's captain and you forgot to sacrifice to Poseidon before you set sail, you were a major league drep. Poseidon liked at least one bull sacrificed in his honor per ship. Don't ask me why. 
Maybe at one point, Poseidon had told the Greeks, just pour me a Red Bull and we'll call it even. And the Greeks thought he wanted an actual Red Bull, you see? Maybe not. If you forgot the sacrifice, there was a good chance your ship would get smashed onto the rocks or eaten by a sea monster or captured by pirates with bad personal hygiene. Even if you never traveled by sea, that didn't mean you were safe. If your town somehow offended Poseidon, well, say hello to Hurricane Drep. Still, Poseidon kept it together most of the time. He tried to follow Zeus's orders, though Zeus annoyed him constantly. Whenever those two start arguing, the other gods buckle their seatbelts because the fight between the sky and the sea could rip the world apart. Mother Reha must have sensed the tension early on. Shortly after the gods took over the world, she suggested that Poseidon get out of Olympus and explore his new domain. She sent him to live on the ocean floor with his tribe of aquatic weirdos called Telekines. This was a strange suggestion since the Telekines were twisted little dudes. They'd once been land dwellers until they did something to anger Zeus, so he tossed the worst ones in Tartarus and exiled the rest to the bottom of the sea. What did they do? Not sure, but the Telekines were known for sorcery and crafting dangerous stuff. They could summon sled, rain or even snow which you don't get much in Greece, and call down uh, the name I can't pronounce something rain that destroyed plants and burned flesh. Yeah, kind of like acid rain, which is kind of cool in a gross smelly way. Some stories say the telekines invented metalworking and even made Kronos' scythe at Gaia's request could be true. They were greedy and would do anything for the right price. After Zeus threw them into the ocean, their forms changed so that they looked like cross between dogs, seals, and humans with canine faces, studded little legs, and half flipper hands that were nibble enough for metal work, but still made great ping pong paddles. When Poseidon came to live with them, the telekines showed him around and taught him the ways of the ocean. There are fish. This is a coral. That's, I think, how they taught it. One specially nasty trick they taught him was how to use his trident as a lever. So Poseidon learned how to wedge the trident's points under the base of an island and flip it so that the whole land must disappear under the sea. In combat, he could do this with mountains on dry lands. A couple of times, he flipped mountains right on top of his enemies, crushing them flat. See, I told you he was a boss. Eventually, Poseidon got tired of Telekine and decided to build his own palace. He went to the bottom of the uh, sea and used his earth-shaking, wave-making powers to raise a big mansion made of pearls, sea stone, and some shells. His gardens were full of exotic sea plants and jellyfish drifting around like Christmas lights. And that would be good. 
He had great white sharks for guard dogs and merman for servants, and his doorways were huge. Because every once in a while, the whales and sea monsters would float through to pay their respects. If you ask me, Poseidon's crib was way cooler than Hades' or Zeus's. And when Poseidon was sitting on his polished coral throne, he felt pretty good about himself. Entire sea was under his control. The fish adored him. All the sailors in the Mediterranean made offerings to him and prayed for safe passage. Everybody seemed to love him. So Poseidon thought, hey, I should go up to the top and offer to be a patron for one of the immortal cities. Like I mentioned earlier, this was a big deal for the gods. The more mortals prayed you, the stronger you got. If you could get a whole city dedicated to you with statues and temples, souvenir t-shirts in all the tourist shops, that was an ultimate in bragging rights. Poseidon decided to try for the capital of Attica on the, on the Greek mainland, which was one of the biggest and the most important cities in Greece. Hey, go big or go home, right? He showed up at the city's Acropolis, which was the main fortress on the top of the tallest hill. The earth shook. Poseidon appeared in a swirling column of salt and mist. He struck his trident against the nearest rock, splitting it open, creating a geyser of salt water. Behold, he shouted to the crowd, I am Poseidon, here to become patron of your city. Pretty good entrance. Unfortunately, Athena, the goddess of wisdom, had shown up a few seconds before with the exact same offer. She was standing nearby in her grey robes, her battle helmet tucked under her arm, Conducing negotiations with city elders. Ah, Poseidon muttered. Awkward. The city elders gaped at the sea god and his glowing trident, and massive geyser of salt water now spouted from the hilltop. Lord Poseidon once said. Oh, um, the poor mortal looked back and forth between the two gods. I can't blame them for being nervous. You never want to be forced to choose between gods. No matter which you pick, the other one is likely to stomp you as if you were a cockroach. Poseidon wasn't sure what to do either. He, How dare this upstart goddess Athena, the second generation Olympian, steal his idea. He was tempted to chase her off with his trident, but before he could, Athena cried. I know how we can settle this peacefully. Typical. Athena always had some sneaky idea. Poseidon wasn't interested in peace at the moment, but the mortals all looked very relieved. And he didn't want to act like a bad sport in front of the future followers, right? Well, he grumbled, what is your plan? A, con a contest, Athena said. You and I will each create one gift for the city. The elders will judge between them. Whichever god gives the city the most valuable gift will be its patron. The other god will accept the elders' judgment and leave the place in peace. Agreed? Thousands of mortal eyes turned to Poseidon. He still wanted to smack Athena into the sea, but she had put him on the spot. He couldn't exactly say no. Yeah, he grunted, okay.
Athena gestured to him. Gentlemen, first, Poseidon frowned. Why would, what would be a valuable gift for these mortals? A box of pearls? Some pet jellyfish? Perhaps a stable of trained whales they could ride. Hmm, parking the whales downtown might be a problem. Perhaps another form of animal, something strong and fast but adopted to land-dwelling humans. The sun gazed at the waves breaking on the beach far below. As his white hat raged and crashed, he caught an idea. He began to smile. Watch this. He pointed his trident and the waves began to take shape. When they reached the shore, they became majestic animals with four long legs and flowing manes. They ran straight onto the beach, whining and prancing. I call them horses, Poseidon shouted. They are fast and strong. You can ride them anywhere. They can carry ha- heavy stuff, pull plugs uh, or wagons. You can even ride them into war and trample your enemies. Plus, they look really cool. The mortals murmured and clapped politely. Horses were obviously a valuable gift, though people of the town, people at the town's people looked disappointed. Like maybe they'd be hoping for a pet jellyfish. Everyone turned to Athena. The goddess raised her hand. A sticky-looking scrub broke through the nearby rock. It had gray-green leaves and green knobby fruits the size of warts. Poseidon couldn't help laughing. What this pume is that? It's an olive tree. The mortal shifted uneasily. The olive tree didn't look very impressive, but nobody wanted to say that to Athena. Poseidon chuckled. Okay, well, nice try. I guess we all know who won this contest. Not so fast, Athena said. The olive tree may not look like much, but you can grow it with very less effort. It will spread across the countryside until olives are most important food in Greece. Those knobby green things, Pisan protested, they're tiny, but they will grow by the thousands, Athena said, and very tasty on pizza. The mortals of the city will export olives across the world and become rich. You can use olive oil for cooking and lighting lamps. You can even add perfume to the oil and use it for bathing or moisturizing or cleaning those hard-to-get-out stains on your kitchen counters. She turned to the crowd of models. How much would you pay for it now? But don't answer, it's my gift to you. Free of charge. And if you order today, you'll get my patronage for your city, which includes tons of wisdom, advice, art warfare, and all sorts of helpful crafts. You will be the richest and most important city in Greece. All I ask is that your name is you name your city after me, build me a temple, which can be done in three easy installments. Poseidon's confidence started to crumble, but wait, my horses, the mortals were no longer listening. They were much more interested in making money, and while the countryside around their city was great at growing olives, it was too hilly and rocky for horses to be used. 
It was kind of ironic. The people of the city would eventually become famous sea traders exporting their olive tree, but they turned down the sea god Poseidon's patronage. He might have done better than he offered training leads. So Athena won the contest, and that's why the city is named Athens after her. When it could have been named something cool like Beside, you know, plops or something, I don't know. Beside stormed off, literally. He forgot his promise not to take revenge and almost destroyed the lower city by a huge flood until, finally, Athens agreed to build a temple on the Acropolis, honoring both Athena and Poseidon. The temple is still there. If you go, you can see the marks left by Poseidon's trident when he struck the rock to make the salt water spring. There are probably still olive trees there too, but I doubt you'll see any horses. After that, Poseidon got a little obsessed with finding a city to sponsor, but he didn't have any luck. He fought with Hera for the city of Argos. Hera won. He fought with Zeus. For the island of Aegina, Zeus won. He fought with Helios for the city of Corinth and almost won. But Zeus said, no, you guys split up. Helios, you can have the main city of Acrolops. Poseidon, you can have the little skinny stripe of the island next to the city. You can have that. Poseidon just kept getting shafted or lightning bolted or olive freed. The more times it happened, the crankier he got. This was bad, Poseidon, because when Poseidon got touchy, he was more likely to punish whoever he thought was insulting him. For instance, he was proud of those 50 sea spirits called the Nereids, whose beauty was known throughout the world. They had long flowing hair or dark, as dark as midnight, sea green eyes and white dresses that billowed around them in the water. Everyone knew they were absolute knockouts, and having them in his domain was something that delighted Poseidon. Kind of like living in a town of championship football team. Anyway, this mortal queen named Cassiopeia down in North Africa, she started bragging about she was way more beautiful than in Rarets. Poseidon had no patience for that nonsense. He summoned a flesh-eating, blood-drinking sea serpent about a thousand feet long with a mouth that could swallow a mountain and he sent it to terrorize the coast of Africa. The monster raged up and down, devouring ships, making waves and sank, that sank villages and billowing so loudly no one could get any sleep. Finally, to stop the attacks, Cassiopeia agreed to sacrifice her own daughter, Andromeda, to the sea monster. Like, oh yeah, my bad. I shouldn't have bragged. Here, you can kill my innocent daughter. In case you're worried, Poseidon actually let that happen. He allowed a hero to rescue Andromeda and kill the sea monster, which is a whole other story. But even after Cassiopeia died, Poseidon never forgot her insult. He put her in this night sky as a constellation and because she had lied about being more beautiful than the Nereids, 
she always appeared as to be spinning backwards. She's a stupid-looking constellation, too. After that, the Nairads were grateful to Poseidon for upholding their honor. Maybe that was his plan all along. You can't beat having 50 beautiful women thinking you're awesome. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this was episode 6 about one of my favorite gods, Poseidon, who is very cool. Next time, let's see who we'll be, ta- be talking about. Bye-bye for now.